Hey, thanks for watching these, these videos, these conversations that I'm having with some truly remarkable people who are on this journey of depth with the Lord that is going to help you so much. Today, it's Peter Hyatt. He is a prolific author. He's written maybe five or six books, which we'll talk about just a little bit. He, um, I'd never met him before this conversation, although I had read a book of his and watched many of his YouTube videos. So I was really looking forward to this. And uh, I found out we had so much in common, including the seminary we went to, including living in the Bay Area as pastors at the same time, and we didn't even know it. Uh, but especially the commonalities of the journey we went on, or we've both been going on, of greater and greater um, healing as we've understood the true heart of God, but also let him into our hearts to deal with some of the hurts in life. And what Peter shares so openly is about uh, the wounding from being judged and rejected, betrayed by the church, the very organization that he was serving. And, and so it kind of begs a deeper question, is there a purpose to uh, the wounding and the suffering that we go through? And when we go through it with Jesus, the answer is, of course there is. Uh, it's actually quite profound. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the weapon of forgiveness. We're going to delve into a little bit the, what is the fear of God? And what is the cleansing fire of God that is really spoken of quite clearly in Scripture? We don't sidestep, but we take a fascinating look at a couple of the difficult or what we would call scary parables that Jesus tells, like the one about the sheep and the goats or the wheat and the tares. And if you don't know those, we'll explain them a little bit in this in this video. Uh, and we even talk about how we had this in common. We both suffered, well, he suffered a heart attack. I, I had almost or near a heart attack. And uh, how God used that to bring a lot of transformation and healing in our lives. So this is just a taste of what's coming. I, I, I did edit it down some, but it was so hard because there's so many good things. I just want to say to you, enjoy it. Um, listen to God's Spirit within you as He highlights something to you. As you're listening, if something's highlighted, pay attention because God is talking to you and helping you in your journey. Peter, I'm so uh, excited to uh, have this time with you because I got to I got to admit this to you. I'm a little bit nervous. Just a little, okay, not much. But the reason being, <laughs> I already know you to be a fun guy, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but this is actually the first interview conversation I'm doing with someone that I've never met before this interview. So therefore, everything I know of you is from, you know, videos you've done and a little bit. I've read uh, a book of yours, and uh, and so. Um, there's a lot of questions I want to ask, so I feel like I'm going to get to to know you as this as this goes on. But for those watching and listening, um, I thought it would be good if if you just told us a little bit about yourself. And I just think it's fascinating. Uh, you and I, as we were connecting ahead of time, uh, we found out that you and I both were youth pastors in the same you know part of California. 
even under the same denomination. And we could have known each other. We were actually, I think, a little bit overlapping in years, which I just think is so fascinating. Yeah. But yeah. Tell, tell us about you a little bit. Yeah. So my father was a, a pastor, Presbyterian Church USA, and okay. uh, loved my dad. He was one of the most Christ-like people, if not the most Christ-like person I have ever met. Um, ne didn't never want to be a, a pastor, though, because it looked like a headache to me. So I got a degree in geology. And uh, in the process, God kind of, I think, tricked me into being a pastor. And that's a long story. But uh, let's see, after I got a degree in uh, in geology, I moved out to California and got a job at Community Presbyterian in in Danville. Well, no, I went out to, I'm sorry, I went to LA first, went to Fuller Seminary. I thought there was four years missing in my life there. Okay. And worked, worked at uh, Bel Air Presbyterian Church and came up and was youth pastor. And then, uh, gosh, a bunch of things happened, had four kids, married my wonderful wife, and then was a pastor in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, kind of the, you know, that evangelical side of things. And, uh, then um, was defrocked 15 years ago, and some people said, well, can we still do church maybe in downtown Denver? And we started the sanctuary. So that's kind of the quick version. Um, okay. Yeah, there's several of those points I want to I go back and hit on and, and uh, look at a little bit closer. Uh, one of the things I didn't know is that you went to Fuller, which I did as well. So well, you did. Um, <laughs> yes. I was there trying to think. It was kind of, uh, let's see, 84 seven to to 90 somewhere right in there yeah so, okay so might have been a, just a few years before you something like that i don't know yeah no i was 80 like 84 through 88 okay so we were on the same campus at fuller yeah now is that yeah right right okay there you go yeah so did you have dr mao i did have dr mao yeah yeah he was great i, yeah. I took took every class i could from him Yes, I, I yeah, Richard Mao, right? I enjoyed, yeah. I enjoyed him. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Look at this. Are we? <laughs> we have you know maybe been in the same rooms together and not even known it. I so. know that's kind of freaky, huh? <laughs> I was kind spying of Yeah. <laughs> so um, hey, you owe me money, don't you? <laughs> but it could be could be wonderful. Could be bad. <laughs> could be bad. We don't know. Yeah. So yeah, part of partly why I was reaching out to you is uh, we we have a mutual friend, uh, Jason Clark. Actually, you know, he interviewed you a while back, and um, he was one of my friends who kind of got me pointed your direction and said, "Hey, this is a guy you know to listen to." I think the first video I saw of yours on YouTube was uh, "Hallelujah in Hell," yeah. and I just went, "Wow, this is not only was it really well done and creative and fun, which is." a lot like my personality. So I loved it for that reason, but just the content. And um, I think what I'm finding out is that as, as I've been journeying, okay, the last 20 years have been all about a journey into grace and into the goodness of God. But really the last couple of years, it seems like it's, it's uh, really uh, clarified, intensified. Like I really want to know and talk to people who have gone to deep places here and so I'm, what I'm finding is people like you, but many others, I wouldn't even call it underground. I would say it's, it's bubbling up and all over the place. People that are, 
that are just running, you know, headlong into the grace and goodness and kindness and tenderheartedness of God unapologetically, but also brilliant people like yourselves um, who who've got some really good answers for some in the past, what for me was really some tough things to think about. If God's good, then what about this? And what about that? And I, that's why I've really appreciated just watching you and listening to you. So enough of me rambling about you. I'd rather you just share some of it. I just wanted to give those that know me a context of why I reached out to you. Um, I see you got, I don't know if you, before we just dive into things, I saw on Amazon, I saw four different books. Maybe you've written more than that. Um, any, any that you would point people towards? The one that I'm especially excited about is titled The History of Time and the Genesis of You. And then we had a second book that followed after that called, it's called now titled God and His Body. Originally, it was God and His Sexy Body. I um, saw that. <laughs> we changed the title because it seemed to stress people out. Um, but then, the, and, and what they are, are commentaries on the first couple chapters of Genesis. And then I want to do a third book. Um, that I think will probably be titled The Tree in the Middle of the Garden. And, mm. uh, you know, for me, the, working through the hell stuff was really important and got me in a bunch of trouble kind of dealing with what exactly Hades was, Gehenna was. And, you know, that's mm. what that little video, Hallelujah in Hell, is about. But get really excited about the theology that's on the other side of that. Because once you get rid of an eternal torture chamber, uh, you can look at, I think, all of Scripture. Uh, it unifies, it systematizes, and tells this beautiful story of God's creative grace. And it's right there in the first three chapters of Genesis, which used to be the most embarrassing chapters of the Bible for me because I have a geology degree from the University of Colorado. Um, but once I really started digging into it, preaching from it, I thought, well, this is incredible. And if if we could only... If we could only believe what God's revealing in just the first few chapters, it'd be utterly revolutionary, I think. Right. So so I'd recommend those books. And then I have a little book. I, I wrote a commentary on the Revelation that was published by, um, well, it, Thomas Nelson now, but it was Integrity. And then a, a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount years ago. Um, mm -hmm. so that, and then we have a, li and then a little book that you can get on Amazon, too called uh, All Things New, What the Bible Really Says About Hell, which is really an appendix from the other Genesis book. So that's my... You've been a busy man. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, they're based on sermon series, and then I go back and rework them, and kind of, and I've gotten in the habit of preaching expository sermons. So right. if you preach your, yourself through a book of the Bible and then realize, you know, and I'm thinking in my head, uh, how, could this become a book? So, um, right. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So which was well, the one you read, Brent? Well, um, I read all things uh, new. What does the Bible really say about hell? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That little one. Yeah. The one you wrote as a defense, right? A little yeah. bit. Well, that, yeah, that came from, um, yeah, that came from an explanation to my presbytery while I was being tried for heresy and then realized, well, I, I would just like to share this with everyone. And we turned it into that little book that we passed out at a conference that we had here a few years ago. Yeah. No, I thought it was brilliant. And what I love, too, you even said so in the introduction, I'm going to use a whole lot of scripture. And so for those of you that don't want that, just kind of skim through it. But yeah, but I think it's I think the scripture is important for people like myself and many others who are who are saying, I know 
I know my father's good. I know he, he loves, he loves just who God is. So there are some things that don't seem to fit with that, that we were taught in our kind of evangelical or I don't even want to pick a, I don't even want to pick a, you know, a pigeonhole something. I'm just saying in our religious upbringings, we learn some things that don't really fit with that, fit well with that. Right. And along the way, we, we kind of start to learn, oh, maybe there's a different way of looking at all this. And, and the Holy Spirit along the way has given me ways of seeing different, different scriptures in a way that opens the light, like, oh, I get it now. But, but you've, you're down the road a little bit further. You've done a, a bunch more for me. And so I'm just enjoying um, that you're using so much scripture uh, so that we can see this is all right there. Just, it just depends well, yeah. on how we're looking at it, right? Yeah, I love that you said that because this is the part that drives me a little bit bonkers inside is people get excited about the grace of God and the idea that God's not into eternal torture chambers. And they'll think that they have to throw out scripture and mm-hmm. kind of the way I walked into it, I mean, I always struggled with the idea of endless conscious torment, partly because I was as a little science geek and I knew that <laughs> I knew that uh, four billion years was a really long time. And that's just a blink in the eye, you know, blink of the eye in eternity or in infinity, I should say. And so I would always say to my dad, how on earth could this be possible? And my dad would say, well, you know, Peter, you can trust that Jesus is good. So you just trust him. It'll be good. And that got me by for a while. Um, you, you know, and, and then when I went to Fuller, uh, I don't know if you remember this, uh, Edward Fudge, the fire that consumes was out, was about annihilationism. And I got excited about that. Cause I thought, well, gosh, Jesus, just wipe them out. You know, don't endlessly torture them. That's, that's crazy. And so I, and that got me by for a while. But then um, as I started preaching through books of the Bible, I kept coming across these Bible verses that said things that I just couldn't fit with the rest of my Bible verses. And, you know, I take my biblical exegesis, principles of exegesis I learned from Fuller Seminary and systematic theology and go back to it. And, and I couldn't re- the I couldn't reconcile what I call the Bible verses banned by Bible believing believers because you mentioned them and and people that supposedly believe in all the scripture kind of freak out and explain them away. And I lost my ability to explain them away over time. And what I think is so encouraging is that this isn't a bunch. We're, we're not just sitting around kind of dreaming up what we would like to think God is like. Mm-hmm. I think it's really testament, the testimony of scripture. And, and for me, the, those challenging, the challenging verses are helpful in that life is hard. I mean, th- this world is full of so much pain and evil. Right. And if you have a theology that, oh, God just is constantly warm and fuzzy, you have to, you go, well, how on earth do I deal with the, it's not just the news, it's the people in my life whose kids are killing themselves and women are raped and people are, and we had encountered some crazy, weird, demonic stuff. But then when I go back to scripture with a new paradigm, I realize that so many of the verses that used to terrify me now are, are in a strange way comforting because, mm. well, God's, he's disciplining us. He's disciplining all of humanity, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. And the verse that, you know, for me is if you want one verse that pulls all of scripture together, I think it's Romans eleven thirty two. 
that God consigned all the disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And once I put all of scripture in that paradigm, which is really a summary paradigm, well, the, the light just changes on um, all these uh, crazy Old Testament texts. And I, and I, and I think, yeah, God is a dad who mm-hmm. disciplines his kids and we're all little kids. And <laughs> maybe we've had a bad day of kicking, kicking against our daddy and, yeah, it hurts, but he he never stops being love, and is right. and he, and he's one. He's not divided. Yeah, that's so good. And and uh, for those, I I know what you're talking about because I've been watching you for a little while now. So when you're talking about the Bible verses banned by Bible believing believers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. But I but it does give a yeah it gives a little tag to understand what we're talking about. But some of those verses for those that don't know what those are. Would be things like um, Revelation twenty one five that I'm behold I make all things new, yeah, or or verses that say all were included in Christ's death, you know, all are going to uh-huh. be included in His resurrection, and and so what? Yeah, in fact, I've got a growing list now in the last several months of I'm sure you've done things like this too of of, of about forty all passages like yeah. we're going to have to decide what we do with these with a God who seems to include us in everything. Yeah, so here's a resource if people want it. Um, When I was, well, a little bit of my history was that I was preaching these things and our church grew from kind of a handful of people into this big church on the west side of Denver. We built a big building on the side of I-70, became kind of a flagship church and some people complained to the denomination and they said, this is what I mentioned in that little book. You're going to have to stop preaching this stuff. And I'd say, what stuff? And they'd say, you know the stuff. And and I did. It was those Bible verses that I really couldn't explain away. I just kept bumping into those Bible verses banned by Bible-believing believers. And when they said, you can't say this, and I'd, I'd say, why? They'd say, you know why. And and I knew that it bothered them. But, they, but, the, but the more the denomination said that, the more they came in, the more I ask the question, yeah, why can't I say this and realize that there wasn't, there wasn't a good argument. Then mm-hmm. um, over time, I, I discovered that this is what the early church fathers uh, were saying. Um, in fact, I just did a podcast with, with David Artman does a podcast and I got to interview some scholars and realized, wow, so many of these things I saw in scripture is what the early church believed. Then it's also what great theologians like Bart and Balthauser had had also argued. Um, And I knew a whole lot of, I gotten to know some fairly well-known famous Christian types that were associated with my family or in my church. And a whole lot of them believed this, but they were scared to say it because it didn't sound evangelical, which is so ironic because evangelical means good news. And I'm thinking, well, what could be better news than this, that Jesus actually gets what he wants, that he he came to seek and to save the lost, and he's successful. And it's something that all of Scripture is bearing, um, is testifying to. Right, right. What I love about um, a lot of what you share, and I I also had an interview with Paul Young a couple weeks ago, and, I, and there's a lot of similarity in how the two of you um, – what I see from both of you is how you are—you don't shy away from 
that there is there is discipline. There is uh, you talk about the fire a lot. You know the yeah. Paul Paul the way Paul Young says it is God's going to burn away everything that's not of love's kind. That's that's yeah. what God's going to do. Yeah. And so it isn't like when we talk about that God isn't this terrible punishing you know rageful angry God. We're not. We're not saying that there isn't still things that that hurt as he purges and burns away things in us that don't belong. So would you mind talking about that a little bit? Because I love uh, and and might be going into a little bit of the words of how I just um, this is an area that I've kind of danced around a little bit. But I love how you just kind of have hit it head on and, and until you've got some things figured out biblically. And like you said, with the early church father. So would you go there a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, one of the things I had to deal with right off the bat is what does it mean to fear God? And, uh, you know, I think a helpful paradigm to always uh, think these things through with is that God is dad and we're little mm-hmm. kids. And that the, you know, and that Jesus is the groom and we're the bride. And that that's where the, that's where the New Testament goes. It doesn't say, God is judge and you are in the dock or it says those things. And then you think about, well, now in what sense am I to, am I to fear my father? Scripture says perfect love casts out fear, but mm-hmm. also says fear is the beginning of wisdom. And I think if you follow it through, you also realize that, well, Jesus is the wisdom of God. And I think that this whole world runs on fear. So one thing I realized going through all of this is people are just terrified not to be afraid. I think I'm afraid not to be afraid. The, mm. you're, you're afraid something's wrong if you're not afraid. Right. But, but I do think God, you know, when he initially speaks to us, he speaks into that and um, says, look, uh, and Jesus says this, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear um, him who has the power to cast into Gehenna. Um, fear your father in heaven. And, you know, I think about my kids and, I had to find a way when they were little to say to each of them, you know, look, don't fear the kids on the bus. Don't fear. I don't want you to be afraid of your gym coach. I don't want you to fear uh, the dog. I want you to, you, you just fear one thing. You fear me. And now that I have your attention, I love you. So don't be afraid of anything. <laughs> and I, I think God does that. He says, if you're, you're going to fear one thing, it's me. Cause I, I will chase you down. You know, when, when my kids were little, and their friends would get a, a D on a math test. I really didn't care. I, who cares what the neighborhood kid got on the math test? But if it's my kid, I cared. So it was like, well, yeah, fear me because I, I, you know, I want you to, I want you to live your life and not get, not get trapped. And now that you fear me, you need to know that I will always love you and I will pursue you wherever you go. So don't fear. And now this is this is the other part of my journey that. I never know quite who to talk with about it because for some it's really weird and for others it's something they've experienced. But early on in my ministry, I just, I, well, I was actually at, down at Hollywood Press when I saw this guy, a demon cast out of this guy. And, you know, I've seen all kinds of fake, ridiculous stuff and I'm real skeptical. But this, a friend of mine was praying for this guy, Presbyterian pastor, and I just realized, oh my gosh, that's real. I can't explain it away. And early on in my ministry, up here in Colorado, I said, Jesus, I'd just like you to be more real to me. And I'd even pray for people with demonic spirits, if if that's what you would have me do. 
And right after that, I was introduced to a gal who was raised in a coven. And over the years, well, then my wife started coming with me to pray for because other people were scared to. I mean, we just saw the craziest stuff. And I believe we we dealt with Satan. Um, man, she had been ritually wed to him. And this was over the span of like, gosh, 14 years. So it's not a one-off kind of deal. And then we've also met some other people we've prayed with like that. And it's really challenging. And, you know, part of the reason I was asking these questions, Brent, is I would come home from some of those times that would last for several hours and just say, Jesus, I, I don't know how to exist in this world unless you beat this. I mean, just that you would allow such horrible things. You know, people people, I guess there are some people that are Holocaust deniers. And I go, well, it happened on a massive scale in Europe, but that kind of thing happens down the street in someone's garage. And it's just, so my question for my heart's cry was, Jesus, this is just so evil. And I felt like he would kind of answer, yeah, it's evil. That's why it's evil. And I was desperate. You've got to be big enough to fix this. And and then I discovered he was, but the, but the journey was like going to the hill of the skull. It was like going to the cross, dying and rising with Jesus. And this is my point. We discovered when we would, when these things would, she would be gone and these things would manifest in her. I mean, it's just the craziest, freakiest stuff. So if listeners don't want to believe it, that's fine. But this is the part that is really, really so cool. And I hope people believe we discovered that we could pray for God to fill the room with his love or to fill the room with consuming fire. And it had exactly the same effect. I mean, evil just like reacted like it was being burned and we would be comforted. And that's when I began to do all this study in scripture about the fire and the lake of fire and revelation and how it shows up throughout the Bible and what a big deal it is for God when people offer unauthorized fire. And then realize, oh, God, you are the consuming fire, and we are the temple, and the end of the temple is to be filled with the fire, and we become creatures of fire, and the fire is light, darkness hates the light, the the fire is the truth, lies hate the truth, lostness hates the way. You are, you yourself are the punishment upon evil. So if I identify with my false self or with the evil or with the shadow side and which i think we casually call the human ego the peter hyatt that peter hyatt is proud of that he creates well the presence the presence of god will will burn that reality another way to say it because you've used the word grace a lot and I, i came to the realization that well if god is the creator and we're created really out of nothing but you know, God, we're made out of dust and, and God. Well, absolutely everything is grace. So the the insanity of this whole deal, and this is where religion gets its fingers all messy. Mm-hmm. We think we come to the table with um, bargaining chips and <laughs> we exist by grace. We breathe by grace. Nobody, right. nobody earned themselves. And so if I have this illusion that I am my own creator, which I think is the essence of the evil one's temptation upon mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in the garden story. If I believe that, um, yeah, that I am my own salvation. So I have a name for that. If I have faith in Mises, that Mises is salvation, because you know the name Jesus is literally, Yahweh is salvation, Yahashua. 
Um, if I have faith in Mises, well, in the presence of Jesus, Mises is going to get burned up. Um, and if I identify with Mises, with my ego, well, that's going to be real painful. And the sad reality is we all identify with our ego. That's why we all have to go to the cross with Jesus and die with Jesus and rise with Jesus. And I think in, you know, in modern American evangelicalism, we got kind of into the habit of saying it in so many different ways, well, Jesus went and died for you so you don't have to. But St. Paul is saying, no, Jesus went and died to help you die uh, with him so you can rise from the, from the dead with him. So that, so God's grace, there's what I was getting around to, Mm-hmm. God's grace is God's punishment. The punishment is the grace. So it makes sense of all these incredible passages that used to, you know, freak me out about like the sheep and the goats. And that's all in the presence of the temple. And if you look at it in the, in the, with the, in context, that is three days from Jesus' death on the cross. He's standing in front of the temple. He's talking about sheep and goats, which the Jews have been sacrificing for 1500 years and god has been talking about the sheep do this and the ghosts do this and they both go into the same fire so the eternal punishment is also the eternal life because jesus himself is the life and jesus himself is his very presence is the punishment um because he's that man filled with fire when when he appears and the the passage is so beautiful because jesus puts everybody in a crisis. He says, you know, he basically says, look, if you visited someone that was sick, well, you're a sheep. If you didn't visit someone that's sick, you're a goat, which puts all of us in, you know, if you're honest with that passage, you're like, well, shoot, I'm a sheep and a goat. And I go, exactly. That's the, and both of them go into the fire and that goat self is burned away because it's false. And the true self is, is purified. Yeah. I so appreciate that. I, I just, um, I just happened today, Peter, to read something or see a video. I think it was of you and where you talked about that very thing. And I went, of course, uh, because God's shown me that in other passages, but not this one. And I went, of course, we're both the sheep and the goat. And the other one similar would be the, uh, that he showed me uh, years ago was the wheat and the tear. Yeah. Like we always think of these passages as, those the bad guys and the good guys, you know, and right, of course right. we don't want to see ourselves as the good guys, right? Uh-huh. So, so we're going to somehow squeak by, yeah, <laughs> as though we earn something and we're better. Yeah, we got to so, we got to convince ourselves that we're so wheat like and everybody else is so tear like, right? And then and then he says the most disturbing thing: let them go ahead and let them both grow. You know, I'll take care of it in the end. We'll uh-huh. and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't work with the us and them either because we're always wanting to say who shouldn't who's wrong and who shouldn't be around us. And, and, and finally realizing, no, he's talking about the condition of our hearts. Like, take a look at your heart. This is why, of course he says, don't, don't you dare go around judging people. Take, take the log out of your eye, out of your own eye. So I just, (laughs) when was, what I think is so cool about all that is it's by taking the Bible and I use the word literally, but not in the sense some people use it. I should just use, say, just take the Bible seriously. And if you follow yeah. the steps, it leads you to these conclusions. Because for me, with the sheep and the goats, it was, I was preaching through Matthew and I'm like, oh crap, I got to preach on this passage. What am I going to say? And 
And then in, I had people praying for me, just wrestling with it. And it was like, I think the spirit just whispers, just take it seriously. And when I take it seriously, I'm like, well, God, I'm both. And it's like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, Jesus preached you into a crisis. And then, well, this is what's so cool too, is the immediate verse right after that, it was says uh, something like, uh, it was three days till the Passover or something like that. So, and Jesus is the Passover lamb that can be taken from the sheep and the goats. So he himself is the answer to this crisis that he says, look, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this with you and do it for you. Yeah. And like you, I've gotten to a place where I I don't, there is not fear anymore. Of course, first John talks about that, you know, there's no fear in love. And, um, and, and like you said, then, then comes the questions like, well, is there something wrong with this that I'm, I'm every, every single day for me, it's in my backyard. I love going back there and I just, I get in this place with the Lord and I know that he loves me and I know that I'm his son and, yeah, I don't have all of life figured out, but in this moment, everything is just amazing because I'm I'm in union with Christ, and in that place, it's impossible to be afraid, actually. And uh, but but I know that as you and I have been on this journey, uh, I know we've had some similarities where I, I haven't been defrocked, as you say. <laughs> that wasn't my experience. I I think I. <laughs> I think I restarted, you don't know my story, but I think I restarted enough times, you know, with church plants and stuff. And uh-huh. each time I got, to re, I got redos, you know, and yeah. the, people that, and I, the people that hung around me were the ones that liked what I was saying. So so I think that was part of my journey. But, uh, but you know, we go on this journey and we run into people uh, who love Jesus and who sincerely think that we're not only wrong, but teaching a heresy and, and, and going to lead people to a really bad place. And uh, what do you, what do you, you know, what have you done? What's a little bit of your journey around that? I, I'm the reason why I'm asking this even real quick is because I know there are people listening who are making this journey also, like they may know God's good, something about their religious upbringing doesn't feel right. But then there's that thing in us that almost feels like we don't have permission to step outside of the bounds of that religious upbringing. Sometimes people will say, Peter, you had so much courage to stand up and do what you did. When I was when I was tried, they couldn't figure out where I was unbiblical. But my church had become kind of a big flagship church that grown real fast. And I think that's why the denomination got real concerned. And they couldn't figure out where I was unbiblical. So they tried to figure out where I had objections to the Westminster Confession of Faith, which, you know, is this, what is several hundred years old now, Reformation document that nobody agrees with all of it. The Presbyterians have cut it up and added chapters and uh, largely because of double predestination. So there were two things that, that I set as exceptions. There's a line where it says that um, God delights in the destruction of the wicked or something like that. And I said, well, I, I just don't know how to say that because scripture says he takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. And and then there was another that said there was a group of people that basically couldn't be saved. And I said, well, you know, the disciples said to Jesus, who then can be saved? He said, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. So how can I, how can I, how can I uh, affirm those two things? Well, because of those weird encounters that I had had with Satan <laughs> and demonic spirits, I had come to realize that really he derives all of his power from convincing people that 
either God is unable to save them, or secondly, that God doesn't want to save them. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly realized I was being put on trial and asked to affirm those two things that I had battled the evil one in all these weird encounters. And I and it just was shocking to me. And so I would say to people that say, oh, you're so courageous. I go, no, you don't understand. I understood what they were asking. And for other people to say that they can answer in ignorance, and that's different. But if I if I got up and said those things, it would be like, saying satan come get me and and i'm so i i don't want to open myself up to that i've said to jesus so many times if i'm leading people straight just kill me and six years ago i had a heart attack i felt like he was saying i can do that so just shut up about that um it was a great heart attack i got to watch tv for a month and hang out with the kids it was awesome and and then you were asking how do you deal with it's really hard to go through this when you get so excited about how incredibly beautiful Jesus is. And you think you're going to a group of people that have been cheering for Jesus to save people. And you say to them, hey, I got great news. He's going to pull it off and he wants to use us. So it's really important what we're doing because people are suffering right now. And then to find that they get angry at you. And that's real shocking for me. And it took me a long time to to work that, that one through. but I. But I think, and this is the weird way in which the grace of God really is a fire and a and a and a knife is. It, it revealed to me that people could come from all sorts of different denominations, different backgrounds, different theologies, charismatics, Baptists, whatever, and some would know their Bible really well, some know not it well at all, and some would say, "Oh, that is such great news! I've always hoped that would be the case." Thank you, and other people would just grow furious and angry. And I began to realize that the line, I think the judgment cuts between the true self and the false self. It cuts between Mises and Jesus. So there are some people, and everybody can use the same vocabulary. Everybody can um, sing the same songs at church. But a certain group of those people will have a, a fundamental deep faith that they save themselves. And then there'll be another group of people that have this fundamental deep faith that God saves them. And of course, we're all a mix of the two, because I think that really is the wheat and the tares. But then when you introduce the grace of God, it explains the reaction. And I had Philip Yancey used to go to my church, and he took me out to dinner when I was on trial. And... Yeah, I know that for Philip to talk about these things <laughs> gets him in trouble. But he said, Peter, do you realize that when you preach these things, people have like a visceral reaction to them? And I was so wounded at the time I didn't say this, but I've thought about it for years now because I thought it. I'm like, yeah, I do. In fact, that's why I think I'm supposed to say it because the visceral action is called the flesh. It's exactly what happens to Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus shows up shining brighter than the sun. And what does it do? Well, Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So he said, well, Paul, what happened to the old Paul? Well, Jesus burned him up on the road to Damascus and turned me into the apostle to the Gentiles. So to, to realize that everything good in me is a is a gift of God and everything bad in me is this illusion that all of humanity is trapped in means that I can have compassion on the people that are trying to nail me to a tree. And that's incredibly 
That's in- incredibly hard. When I explain my story, people feel sorry for me and, you know, that stuff. And then I feel like, oh, no, but I have to tell you the rest of the story. And that is that everything that happened to me, I realized God was in charge of the whole thing. And um, I had this wild experience years ago in Canada where God revealed to me at this conference that I had gone to the ministry because I hated the church. And mm-hmm. it was largely because of watching my dad. The same thing that happened to me happened to my dad, but kind of from the more liberal side because he wanted to talk about Jesus. And he was tried, publicly tried and removed. When I was in college, I was studying geology. This is how God kind of got me into the, <laughs> tricked me into the ministry. But he, he was tried on the floor of this big room in downtown Denver. And I was so angry. I remember I just wanted to punch out these elders on the floor of the presbytery that had called my dad a liar. And it, when I had this in, encounter with Jesus years ago, he, he told me that I had gone to the ministry because I was so angry at the church. So how's that for a shock that, that a guy is the guy is serving as pastor because he hates the church? I had no idea how deceptive my own heart was. And it was this amazing experience. I cried for hours. And by this time, I was pastoring uh, Lookout, which now was part of the evangelical Presbyterian church that I thought, well, this will fix things from the liberal side. And uh, I had been there 15 years, same amount of time my dad had been at uh, at the church he was in. My son was the same age that I was. God had revealed to me I'd gone to the ministry kind of because I hated my church. I realized there was something that he was needing to heal, and I felt like he had healed it. But now I was getting in trouble with the denomination, and uh, my my wife, who sometimes has visions, she's one of those, you know, and they're they're real. I've learned to discover they're real. Uh, I had just preached a sermon. I was about to be tried. I sat down, and I remember thinking, Susan, you need to get your crap together because I'm about to be. She was goofing around talking to someone. I go, I'm about to get canned here, and you know, you need to get spiritual. But so anyway, she she just grabbed me all of a sudden and I realized something had happened. And she said, Peter, I just saw your dad. Now, my dad had been my dad had been dead for three years and my dad had always wanted me to read Karl Barth, by the way. But I didn't because it's dad, you know. So but anyway, he, she said, Peter, he was standing right in front of us and his eyes were like on fire and he was so young and he had a bowl in his hand and he leaned forward and he said, Susan and Peter, do not be afraid to drink from the cup that the Lord has for you. And then he vanished. And, and I, I thought, oh, wow. And then immediately I thought, oh, sh-, and you know, crap. Um, but I'll use, use the nasty potty word. So this is probably a PG podcast, right? But, uh, and, I, and I realized everything that had happened to my dad was happening to me. They put me on, they put me on, uh, they put me on trial, defrocked me. And then some people in the church, one of my, our small group person said, you know, we've already talked about starting a church. And I said, yeah, I'm not going to start one close to the old church because I'm already going to be blamed for doing this. So we went to downtown Denver and we were looking around for church buildings. And now I had just been kicked out of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And I said, well, in California, I was part of the the PCUSA, and there's a big old church downtown, and maybe we could use their facility. So um, we went, we set it up. I called my mom. I said, Mom, we're going to start holding services on Sunday nights at Central Presbyterian. And um, immediately she said, Peter, don't you know what that place is? And I said, no, what are you talking about? She said, 
that's the room that you saw your dad tried on the floor of the Denver Presbyterian. Wow. And suddenly it was like a flood of memories came back to me. And I remembered the weird cross. I remember the weird carpet. I remember the pews. And this is this shocking thing. God had me stand in the very spot that my dad stood when he was tried by the Presbyterian Church USA. He had me stand there for a year and preach. And I knew in the depths of my heart that that, was, that, that I had, what God showed me is I'd done everything to try to fix that situation and avoid being judged by the church and, and walking through the rejection that my dad went through. And he had me stand in that spot and, and preach for a year. God did all kinds of things like that that said, that said to me, yeah, you got the crap kicked out of you. Bunch of people like raped your heart. They nailed you to a tree. But Peter, that was all my plan for you. So if you're going to be mad at anyone, you're going to have to be mad at me. And ultimately, that's the thing that ultimately that helps me is that, and, and that's maybe the negative way to say it. What helps me is that when I suffer, I'm suffering with, with Jesus. And so when people ridicule you for your hope in God's goodness and God's grace and his power, this is what I'd say to people. You need to know that Jesus is having letting you share in his sufferings. And that's not a, that feels awful, but it's ultimately the greatest gift. And my wife had another one of those. Here's another one of them. When I was being tried, I felt like I just need to get up and say this prayer because I, I was like, God, there's so much crap floating around in the air right now. I don't want it to stick to me. And I asked the denomination after I defend myself and they voted, they voted to kick me out. I said, can I just pray for us? And I just prayed this prayer of forgiveness for everyone. And Susan said, oh, Cal, just gets me. She said, Peter, when you said the word uh, forgive, all of a sudden I saw you in front of the room nailed to this cross. And gosh, you were so, you were so beat up and, and you, you died. And then I watched Jesus come in and he took you, he took you down off of the cross. And she said, no. This is going to hurt. It's going to, it's, it's healing is going to hurt, but you need to know that Jesus took you down off the cross. Those are the things that help me the most. And I, and I still need to remember them. And, 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 oh, and then the, this is huge too, that ultimately I can only go there in the depths of my heart. Nobody else can, nobody else can really judge that in you. Um, you know, that in the secret places of your heart, do you love the truth? And, and if you love the truth and really only you and Jesus, you know, and we never have a good idea of that, but only Jesus really knows, well, then you're suffering, you're suffering with him. And so thank him for it. And then when you start thanking him for that, you're like, well, then I really can't be mad at the people that pounded the nails. Unforgiveness cannot exist in the presence of perfect grace. So th that's another way to say what we were saying before is the, the ego is this illusion that I'm my own creator. Jesus is the reality that God is the creator because Jesus is the word with which he creates me. So un unforgiveness assumes that I came to, I, I had chips, I brought chips to the table. And, you know, David even says, um, he says, against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned after he 
kills sleeps with kills Uriah and sleeps with Bathsheba. And I, I think he's not saying that I didn't do something heinous, but it's the good in those people that is God that I that I sinned against. So the the weapon well and this is comes from doing battle with the, some of those crazy evil evil things spirits and satan himself i just realized my weapon is forgiveness i mean over and over again it was walking with someone back into a horrible memory and then helping them giving them the tools through prayer and through counseling because i think a lot of this goes on in counseling just to forgive people and and the evil one hates forgiveness so um those are those are some of the things that i try to remember yeah i've often I've often said that where uh, in in seeing healing, I've I've seen all kinds of miraculous healings, deliverances, things like you're talking about. But honestly, for me, consistently, the most powerful thing I see is when people forgive. And I literally at times have felt and and heard chains dropping. Like, yeah, again, the enemy's got no. There's there's no way to hold on to somebody when they forget. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's amazing. You've brought up several times too about the uh, about the flesh, the ego, various words that we call it, and how God God that's going to be cut away. It's going to be cut out one way or another, and mm-hmm. burned away, whatever that is. And um, and how we're given those opportunities by the Lord. So interestingly, another parallel we have here, Peter, is is about two years ago. I also had an issue with my heart, and they ended up doing a a stent in my yeah uh, in an artery over on this side and god used that time in my life in in so many different ways but i'm but really honestly was for months he went deep 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 into showing me the reality of my flesh that was still trying to run the show and nobody could have convinced me of that like mm-hmm. i was i was a grace guy through and through you know my yeah. father me grace and grace is completely true uh you know god doing for us what we can't do but the thing is he does things we don't know he's going to do like like burning away things that have to be burned away but but um i I believe he does it with our he shows us things so that we will want what he wants for us and so that we invite him into that place of saying yep lord it's gonna hurt but do it and and then yeah you know, that scalpel that cuts yeah. uh-huh. you know, joint from marrow. So, and all of that, all the scripture points to what he's going to do. And I went through that process and it was painful and it was beautiful and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. And I came out, I came out the other side in a place of peace and, and uh, joy in the moment. Like I've never known in my life. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, that's it's just and it you know it's so helpful, Brent, just to hear like you say that. Um, and we need to tell each other those stories because the evil one I think is constantly lying to all of us. We live in that river of lies, and just to hear it from somebody else, it's like, yeah, that's true. That's who my dad is. That's who God is. That's what he's doing. And my heart hurt this week, but he's healing it. You, you know, when I had mine. I had the stint too, and uh, <laughs> you know it's so funny because it's 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 at the most basic level is plumbing. I worked as a plumber for a few months uh, after college, and um, there's a, I think there's a beautiful picture there of damnation and salvation in that 
there's you know there's uh, verses help me a whole lot in Ephesians when in chapter one when he says Paul writes this is the plan for the fullness of time and he uses this verb anakephalio uh, which I did all this studying in years ago trying to preach from it and it means to bring together under one wounded head and mm-hmm. it gets translated unite but this is a plan it, it, well there's a plan with fullness of time he uses it in a little different context but to um, no, that's right. Fullness of time to unite all things in Him, and then in Colossians, talk about making peace by the blood of the of the cross. But the picture throughout Ephesians is that really, and and this this stresses people out. But but Paul, if he's if he's if you take him seriously, he's saying all of humanity is going to be united under one head, who and Christ is the head, and that gets into Irenaeus's second century theory of the atonement, the recapitulation theory, which recapitulato is the Latin verb I came to understand, used to translate that verb anakephalio in Greek. But the word in Greek is so much cooler because it's bring everything together under one wounded head. So if I really think that I'm a body part and I and and there's this river of life that flows from the throne, which is where the where Jesus bleeds for us and the blood flows out to the members of the body and then flows back. And we each have to lose our lives and find and find them. We each have to exhale to inhale. Well, then the design is that the blood, the life, the love is supposed to flow into me and then out of me all the time. And if I hang on to it, I become a blood clot, a blood clot, and I damn myself. So if if I and if I think that's me, God has to unclog me. And but that's where you. So ironically, you find life in losing your life. You your soul and losing your soul and that's how god unites all creation and once i see it that way of course i have there's nobody for me to compete with um you know right. my every part of my body wants the rest of my body to get blood too and yes. i'm not threatened i'm not threatened if my right leg isn't threatened by my left leg having life and blood yeah, that's our beautiful jesus uh in that process when he was taking me cleaning up things in my life, showing me things that I needed to uh, allow him to completely remove. One of the things he did is he had me go back to childhood things and actually have compassion on myself, which was such a foreign concept. Like what? Have compassion on that little boy. And he started showing me life and what happened to that little boy. And all of a sudden compassion, uh, you know, exchanged instead of instead of uh, shame or disgust is probably more of usually when we look at our past, there's like disgust, like, yeah. How did I make that choice? How come I did those things? Yeah, and only only Jesus, in His love, could heal us while He's while He's having me give compassion on on that little boy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And that that was a fascinating thing for me. And some of those weird experiences is that the the demonic always wanted to put this person in the position of judging themselves and being disgusted with themselves. And Jesus would always help them have compassion on themselves. And sometimes it was a very painful thing to confess. And yet, this was the thing that w- would shock me in those. Jesus always would expose things to the light, but he never, he never seemed to blame as if he had expected them to do something differently. And I'm like, yeah, because you subjected creation to futility. You consigned all people to disobedience. And you did it in hope because this is part of the manufacturing process of making a human. I think the fall is really a picture of what happens to every little child when they begin to judge themselves, when they become Mm self-conscious. 
And so we all go through this process of fall and redemption in this life, which is um, how we receive the word of grace. And it's the word of grace that creates faith in us, which is the very thing that Adam lacked in the garden. And, you know, the story is so cool because before the fall, God says, it's not good that the Adam is alone. So there's a problem with the Adam. He doesn't recognize God, who is his helper, and he doesn't know how to love. And he needs faith in the word that's going to lead him to that. And so the, 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 I think the beautiful underlying doctrine of all of Scripture is that God is the creator and he's creating us. And the thing that he's creating on this sixth day is trust. And you could even call that, you could even call that free will in the sense that he's teaching us how to love, that he's teaching us how to choose him in freedom. So, so we all are having an encounter with evil. We're all going to taste evil um, and learn to choose the good and then praise God for for what he's created, which includes me and includes you. And when we're, and when we're in the kingdom, I won't be intimidated by you. You won't be intimidated by me neither. So we pro- we'll just be so grateful for the wonderful thing that God has created in the other and, and all this anxiety and fear and shame will, will be gone and yeah. everything will be filled with love. Wow. Well, you are a fascinating uh, creation of God, Peter. <laughs> it's been, I'm having so much fun. Um, I know we can't keep going on and on, but I really, really super enjoyed the time with you and um, love how you've been thinking through and, and trusting God. I, I totally believe what you just said too, that that all these different aspects, even the places where we fall, where we think we have fallen uh, and, and, and look at ourselves with disgust, it's all part. Of a, of a much bigger plan that God has of, of redeeming all things, bringing all things under the head, under Jesus. And uh, so it's been fun talking with you about this. And Yeah, uh, likewise, likewise. Yeah, thank you. So maybe maybe another time we can uh, chat some more. I got, I got other questions I'd love to ask you. <laughs> yeah, well, that'd be great. That'd be great. So if people want more information about stuff, we have this website, relentless-love.org. So if they want, you know, books and sermons and stuff, that would be, that's where you'd go. Perfect. We will uh, put that in the uh, notes down below too. And thanks. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for this time. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. Thank you, Brent. It's my pleasure.